I was doing announcements earlier, I forgot one really important announcement, uh, which is we want to welcome uh, David and Lisa. Uh, David has officially been uh, brought in overwhelmingly as our interim. In case you didn't realize that, he's here, so that might give you some affirmation of that. So anyone want to welcome you guys. And also this week, as you may notice in our, our prayer initiative, our 149 prayer initiative, uh, we are praying specifically this week for David, his uh, interim period with us, and his wife as well. So be sure to be in prayer for him today and along the days ahead in our week. So thanks for joining us, David. Thank you. Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning. Lisa and I are very excited about being here with you in this interim period of time, just kind of bridging the gap between your uh, your previous pastor and the new pastor that God will bring in. And the focus that God has placed upon my heart is for us to individually and then together as the body of Christ to be as healthy and as close to the Lord and to one another as we can possibly be in this time. That will put the congregation in the very best place to have a great future and to hear the voice of God as you move into the future and decide who that your next pastor will be. In the meantime, thanks for your vote of confidence. You know, I stood here last Sunday thinking, this may be the last time I see these folks. <laughs> and uh, Lisa and I love you all, and we, uh, you are very easy to love, and we look forward to getting to know you better and better as the weeks go by, and serving alongside uh, Billy and William, and uh, the Lord has blessed you all with some mighty fine ministers here who are leading, and other church leaders that we've met. By the way, this music's been wonderful today. Lisa and I were just sitting there just being so blessed by all that we have experienced here. Well, I've got a confession to make this morning. We left the house about five minutes or so later than, uh, than I had intended. And so we were uh, you know, trying to make some good time going down the road, hoping we would not hit any heavy traffic on Interstate 26 that would delay us. And all of a sudden, I had this thought that hit me that struck fear in my heart. You ever have any thoughts like that? That you know, They just send you into a panic until you get some composure. And all of a sudden, I, I turned over and I said to Lisa, I said, uh-oh, was this the Sunday that we're supposed to move our clocks forward an hour? And I mean, I was in panic. I I was on my way to developing an ulcer right then and there, I'm telling you. I'm thinking my first Sunday is the interim pastor, and I'm going to show up an hour late. This is going to be absolutely terrible. And, um, And she said, no, I think it's next Sunday. I'm pretty sure it's next Sunday. And so she looked it up on the phone, and what a relief it was when... I discovered, yeah, daylight savings time next Sunday. And then I got here and I saw that you had it in the bulletin. So uh, we'll all be on the same page in the same time next week, right? Well, many of you have assured me that uh, you're praying for me. And I appreciate that. That means more to me than I can possibly say to you. I appreciate those prayers. And I've been praying for you this week too. And I assure you that during our time here, at Starnes Cove, that Lisa and I will be praying for you. And I've spent some time this week going through the uh, church app and looking at the membership of the church and praying for the members of Starnes Cove. And here's what God has placed on my heart to pray for you. It's the same thing that Paul prayed 
for the church at Ephesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I'm entitling the message, How to Know God Deeply. How to Know God Deeply. Now as we read this prayer of the Apostle Paul, you'll notice that there are three specific requests that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And these are the three requests that I'm going to be continually praying for you and for me as well as the body of Christ as we move forward together here at Starnes Cove. Now in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15, the apostle Paul writes and he says, Therefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. As I read this passage, I am impressed with the insightful way that the Apostle Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. About five years earlier, the Apostle Paul had been their pastor, and now he continues to pray for this group of believers. And the main focus of the prayer of the Apostle Paul is that the Ephesian believers would have wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better. I was reading recently an article by D.A. Carson, who is the noted New Testament scholar and professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and someone asked him a question. They said, Dr. Carson, what is the greatest need in the church today? And he responded and said, the one thing we need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. So in these verses, Paul, is praying for the Ephesian believers that they will know God better. And he's talking about more here than just an academic 
head knowledge or an intellectual knowledge of God. That may be helpful when you're playing Bible trivia. But we need a knowledge of God that goes deeper than that, don't we? We need an intimate, personal, heartfelt knowledge of God that we can take with us down into the trenches of life where most of us live life out day by day. We need the bedrock truths of God. We need an experiential relationship with God, a knowledge of Him that we cannot have apart from uh, a heartfelt experience and appropriating the knowledge of God that we have into practical, everyday living. And so these are the things that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, and these are the things that I'm praying for you at Starnes Cove, and I ask that you pray for me as well. So how do we know God deeply? If you want to know God deeply, how does it happen? How does it occur? We find the answer to that in the way Paul prayed for these Ephesian believers. First of all, if you want to know God deeply, expand your grasp of His call. Expand your grasp of his call. Now in the middle of verse 18, as Paul prays for the Ephesians, he prays that they will know the hope of his calling. Notice those words, the hope of his calling. Now our English word hope is an interesting word, and it's very different from the way the word hope was used in Scripture. When we speak of hope in our modern times, we speak of something that may or may not happen in the future. I hope that it will be sunny tomorrow. That may or may not happen. I hope that the Panthers make it to the Super Bowl next year. That may or may not happen. But in the Scripture. When the word hope is used, it's used in a different kind of way. It describes certainties, certainties that we do not yet possess. Let me say that again. Hope in the scripture refers to certainties that we do not yet possess. Someone said that hope is faith standing on its tiptoes, just waiting for what God is going to do next. Hope anticipates the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And here's the good news for today. God doesn't break His promises. Now we've known people who've broken promises, right? But God never breaks a promise. And so Paul prays for these Ephesian believers that they will know the hope of God's calling, that they will expand the grasp of his call. So notice that Paul takes this word hope and he connects it with God's calling. It is the hope of his calling. Now what does that combination of words mean, the hope of his calling? It means that from eternity past, God has called us to salvation and he is presently at work in us conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the hope or the certainty is that this work 
will be completed in us. Here's how the Bible describes it in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. It says it like this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So this process that is described here of conforming us to the image of Christ, it begins with God's foreknowledge and it continues ultimately with glorification. So if you want to expand your grasp of God's call to you, and and God's first call that we ever experience is His call to salvation. A lot of times we talk about a call to ministry, or a call to missions, or a call to do something else, but there's a call in the Bible that is far more important than any of that, And it is God's call to you for salvation. And God has given that to you. And when He called you to come and to be saved, God started a work in you that will eventually end in glorification. In other words, what God starts, God finishes. Okay? Think about it. What God starts, God finishes. Now, how many of you have some projects around your house that you've left undone. Anybody have any like that out in the garage, down in the basement? Yep. Tucked away in a closet somewhere. Projects that we started with the best of intentions, things that we wanted to complete, but, but it's about half done. And, and we placed it away somewhere and we're going to get around to finishing it whenever we get time to do it. Hey, I want to tell you something. You are not an unfinished project in the plan of God. God has not forgotten about you and tucked you away in a dark corner or on a shelf somewhere. God is working to complete His work in you. And Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So rest assured, God is doing a work in you And His work is not based on your human performance. Your work is not based on uh, something that uh, you do or you don't do. God has committed, committed Himself to bring His work to completion in you. And that's the hope. That's the hope of His calling. That's the certainty that He's going to do that. And so God wants us to live in that kind of certainty. So you can be confident in what God, what He started in your life, He's going to bring it into completion. Many years ago, there was a man that was attempting to cross the frozen St. Lawrence River up in Canada. And he was unsure about how thick the ice was. Would it hold him or not? And so he very timidly started crossing that frozen river. And he got down on his hands and knees, testing the weight, uh, testing to see if the ice was going to be strong enough to hold him. 
about halfway across the river as he was there on his hands and knees still testing the ice and not trusting it for sure. He heard a rumbling sound behind him. And he looked and he saw coming down the road and uh, to cross that river on the ice was a team of horses that was pulling a wagon. And they went right past the man who was crouched down on all fours testing the ice. And the man turned red-faced and he was embarrassed when he saw the weight of all those horses and that wagon come across the frozen river and there he was on his hands and knees being timid. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not want us to be timid in our faith. God wants us to be certain in our faith. Our hope is not built upon ice that's going to melt. Our hope is built upon Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone that we sang about this morning and we can build our lives upon Him. So that's the hope. Of his calling. And if we're going to grow in Christ, if we're going to know God better, we need to expand, expand your grasp of his call. But then, secondly, the second action that we need to take in order to know God better is to envision the glory of his inheritance. Envision the glory of his inheritance. That's what Paul talks about. In the second request that he makes in our text this morning, he prays that the Ephesians will know the hope of his calling. And then he says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Very interesting wording there. Earlier... In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talked about our inheritance that we have in Christ. And it's a wonderful inheritance we have in Christ. And we could camp out there and talk about our inheritance for a long time. But the focus here in this part of the verse, in Paul's request for the Ephesians, Paul is focusing not on our inheritance, but he's focusing on His inheritance, God's inheritance. And what he is actually saying here, and if you can just envision this, it will blow your mind. We, God's people, the redeemed, we are his inheritance. God looks at us as being his inheritance. In other words, when you get saved... You get God, but God also gets you. God gets something out of our salvation too. What we get out of it defies description. What He gets out of it transcends our comprehension. I mean, when we stop and think about it, what we get is Him. What He gets is us. And you may be thinking right now, when I got saved, I sure got a good deal. I got God. But he didn't get such a good deal because God got me. It's kind of like the man that fell in love with an opera singer. And this man was just absolutely mesmerized by the voice of this opera singer. 
And she was single and he was single. And he determined that he just had to make her his wife. And he was so infatuated with his voice, he hardly noticed anything else about the woman. She could just sing so wonderfully. And so he had to make her his wife. And so they got married. And on their first night together, as they prepared for the honeymoon, he was surprised when she took off her wig and laid it over on the dresser. And then she took out her false teeth and she removed her glass eyeball along with two hearing aids and laid them aside. And then she unstrapped her prosthetic leg and she laid it over on a chair beside of her. And the man is looking, he's aghast, and in total shock he shouted, For goodness sake, sing, woman, sing! Now you may think that when God got us, that He got a bad deal. But somehow God looked at us and He considered us worth saving and He considered us worth loving and God actually considers us to be His treasure. And yes, I am absolutely blown away by that. And you should be too. He describes us as being God's inheritance. Over in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, listen to how God refers to His people there in Deuteronomy 4 verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be His people, an inheritance as you are this day. And then in the uh, book of Zephaniah, the prophetic book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 9 and verse 16, it says, The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of His people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over His head. How can God? View us in that way as jewels, as treasures in His inheritance. The only explanation I have for that is the amazing divine love of God. A love that can only be measured with the sacrifice of Christ's own precious blood on the cross of Calvary. And so the next time you're feeling down, The next time you're having problems with self-image. The next time that you're just not feeling like you're worth very much and, and you feel kind of depressed, I want to remind you of how much God loves you and how much God treasures you. He calls you His inheritance. God loves you so much that if up in heaven He has a refrigerator, your picture is on it. He loves you that much. He cares for you. If you want to know God deeply, envision the glory of His his inheritance because you are His inheritance. Now, let's notice the third request that Paul made. 
And this third request is, is the next action that we're to take if we're to know God deeply. And here's that action. Experience the greatness of His power. Experience the greatness of His power. Now, back to our text in Ephesians chapter 1. When you look at verses 19 through 20, in fact, let's just read that again. Paul's continuing his prayer, and he says in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at, the, at, the, at His right hand in heavenly places. Now what Paul is doing there in those verses is he is outdoing himself as he takes powerful words and phrases and lays them on top of one another to try in, in, a, in an attempt to explain God's power. So Paul talks about the exceeding greatness of God's power in, in the Greek New Testament from which we get our English translations. The words literally mean that God's power is surpassing, unlimited, it is immeasurable, it is beyond imagination. In other words, God's power is indescribable. And so how do you describe that which is indescribable? And so Paul tries a verbal explanation and realizes that to help them understand it, he's going to have to go further than a, visual, than a verbal explanation and he's going to have to give them a visual experience. And so he refers them to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Aren't you glad that when Jesus was crucified and placed in the tomb, He didn't stay in the tomb? And the tomb is empty? And Jesus is alive? Let me ask you a question. How much power do you think it took to raise Jesus from the dead? How do we even describe that kind of power? Paul says this. That's the same kind of power that is available to you and me to live the Christian life. Well, that's not just the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Yes, it was that power. But that same power is available to you and to me that we may live the Christian life. That means that we can serve effectively. We can live victoriously. We can preach with power. We can sing in the Spirit. We can minister. We can do all the things that God would have every one of us to do. And we can do it with the immeasurable power of God flowing through us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me through the Holy Spirit. Are you plugged into the power? There was a lady that lived way, way out in the boondocks. She did not have electricity years ago. But she wanted it. And, and she'd heard of electricity and her neighbors were getting electricity. 
And so she uh, made contact with the electric company and they made arrangements to come out and to connect her so that she could enjoy all the benefits of electricity. Well, after delivering electricity to her home for almost six months, someone at the power company noticed that only one unit of electricity had been used in an entire six-month period. And so a serviceman was sent out to her home to make sure that there was not a problem. And so he goes to her home, he knocks on the door, and she answers the door, and the man from the electric company says, Hello, ma'am, I'm here to inquire are you using your electricity? And she says, why, yes, I am. He says, well, in what way are you using your electricity? What are you using it for? And the woman replied, and she said, well, every night when it gets dark, I turn it on just long enough for me to light my kerosene lamp. That woman didn't understand the power she had, did she? She had enough power to light up her whole house all night long if she wanted it. She had enough power to run a water heater, to run appliances and all these different kind of things. And yet she had all of this power available to her and she was content with living a kerosene existence. That reminds us of how many of us can be as Christians sometimes. The power of God, this unlimited, unexplainable power, a power so great that it could raise Jesus from the dead, that power is available to us, and yet we try to live the Christian life in our own effort, in our own strength. We're not maximizing the power that is available to us. I've heard people say, but preacher, I just serve God in my own weak way. Well, God has a better way. He doesn't want you to serve Him in your weakness. He wants you to serve Him in your power. And by the way, when we realize our own weakness... That's a good thing because we're not trusting in ourselves then. We're trusting in His power. And so if you realize you're weak, that's the first step to laying hold of the power of God. So take the next step and just understand, yes, I'm weak, but He's strong. And the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can accomplish all God wants me to do. I can do what God wants me to be able to do in serving Him and in knowing Him. So what a great, insightful prayer Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. That they will know God better. That they will know God deeply. And that's what I pray for all of us here today. Do you know Him in that way? There's a story about a famous actor who was the guest of honor at a social gathering. And in that gathering, he, re- he received many requests to recite various excerpts from different types of literary works. And one recitation went on right after another. There happened to be an older preacher in the crowd that night, and he asked the actor if he 
would recite the 23rd Psalm. And the actor agreed to do so with the condition that when he finished, that the preacher would also recite it. Well, the actor took the podium and he very dramatically and powerfully began to recite the 23rd Psalm. His recitation was beautifully intoned with great dramatic emphasis for which when he finished he received a lengthy applause. And then it was the older preacher's turn. And so the preacher stood up and took the podium and in a voice that was rough and broken from many years of preaching with a diction that was anything but polished, he stood there and he quoted the 23rd Psalm. And it came not just through his voice. It came through his heart. And when he finished his recitation of the 23rd Psalm, there was no applause But there wasn't a dry eye anywhere in the crowd. Everyone was weeping. Everyone was moved. The actor stepped up to the podium and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, here's the difference between what you've just heard. I know the 23rd Psalm. But this man right here, he knows the shepherd. And that's Paul's prayer. For the Ephesians, that's the prayer that we ought to be praying for one another. Not just that we know the Scriptures, but that we know the God of the Scriptures. That we know Him, not just with our minds, but that we know Him experientially with our hearts and that we walk with Him, that we live with Him, that He is our all and our all. And this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it'd be a great time to get to know Him. Right here in this service to receive Him. If you're already a Christian, it'd be a great time to just recommit yourself to the Lord and to just pray to the Lord this morning and say, God, here's where I am and I'm realizing that you have a work that you want to bring to completion in me and God, I want to be like clay in the hands of the potter. And I want to make it easy for you, Lord, to do that work that you want to do in me. And I pray that we will all walk out of this building today today, knowing God in a deeper way than ever before. And that will continue on through the weeks and the months and the years to come until one day we stand before the Lord glorified and just like Him. Let's pray together as we prepare for the invitation. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word and I pray this morning that Your Holy Spirit would just reach out to all of us where we are. Draw the lost unto You to be saved. Draw every Christian closer to You that we may truly know You in a deeper way than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As Brother Billy comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation, uh, William is going to come to be here at the front today to uh, lead and guide and to help in uh, receiving those that may want to come today for prayer. But let's all stand together right now as we prepare to sing. Let the Holy Spirit do His work today. Follow Him as He leads. Teach me thy patience, dear. 